this is Sloika Darkroom. This is where we share stories and celebrate success of photographers in the Web3 space. GM, GM, everyone. Welcome to the Sloika Darkroom space. Today's Friday. And of course, every Friday in the Sloika Darkroom, we dive deep into tech issues and nerd talk and all kinds of things like that. Um, and today will be no different. I'm here with Ev, who is the CEO and co-founder of Sloika. Good morning, Ev. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing good. I got my coffee. Um, I learned that uh, Dima got his coffee too, not just for myself, but for not just for himself, but for my for me as well. So um, yeah, we'll chat about you know what's what's happening, what's uh, what's new. I um, received actually a couple of questions from uh, Subot and Steve. So, uh, you know, maybe that would be a good kickoff. Uh, but, you know, we started this, not even started, we're ending this week with a, a bit of a newsletter just that just came out uh, from Sloika. And um, it's quite a loaded one. So we talked, uh, we had, you know, a whole bunch of new drops that we are sharing, obviously. Uh, today is also the last day of Retro Week. Um, I think something, uh, you know, different from other marketplaces, uh, what we are trying to do is to highlight photographers that um, have been with us for a while. And, you know, oftentimes in Web3, it's just kind of like, you know, rush, 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 I'm uh, going to go all the way in. And we wanted to take a pause uh, and realize that we'll probably do those, you know, quite regularly, uh, maybe every quarter or so to highlight uh, the I wouldn't say like the originals, but you know, they're pretty close to originals. Uh, those people that were with us very, very early on. And um, yeah, so we uh, were highlighting uh, those artists all week long. Uh, some of them who joined uh, all the way, like I think in November or December, uh, some of them who joined uh, later in the, in the year. And so, yeah, if you're on Sloika, uh, you'll see quite a bit of retro stuff. The other big thing that we uh, were highlighting is uh, kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a bit of an unfortunate topic, but there's been a few wallets that were compromised from photographers that we appreciate and love. And we kind of like, you know, put together a bit of a tutorial how to deal with that, basically how to uh, do when your wallet is compromised, which is obviously the, the most uh, annoying thing that might happen because you're going to move your identity, you're going to move your um, uh, remaining assets, if any, and NFTs to a new spot and kind of like, you know, do this all communication and all this dance. Um, so we kind of like wrote a non nonsense guide uh, for all the artists that were, uh, you know, concerned about this. And I think it kind of like a very easy to read. And of course, if you have questions, please ping us. We would love to expand on this to make sure that it's clear and easy to read. And then you can follow basically and um, use that information to help you. Uh, yeah. And uh, um, I might be forgetting one thing. Oh, yeah. Um, we also will be talking about something very interesting that uh, happened this week. Uh, we are launching the world's first, I think world's first, uh, if, if I'm wrong, please correct me, uh, integration with uh, Spatial. And Spatial is like a metaverse uh, platform to bring the artists uh, together in one 
kind of like way in the playground of sorts. And we did some interesting technical tweaks. Uh, obviously, I love to talk about the technical stuff. So we'll probably talk a bit about security and other things. Um, and we'll talk about the technical tweaks, how to, you know, uh, what it means, uh, what does uh, spatial do, and we'll unpack that. How does that sound? That's a lot of things. I think we should get started. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm going to go ahead and I'll, I'll put out a tweet on Slicka that shows you how you can subscribe to the newsletter if you are not already a subscriber. But what, what Ev's talking about, um, we've just started doing this. Uh, for a while, we were in our newsletter highlighting uh, photographers whose work has just come out. Um, but since we had, um, we have so many photographers reading this newsletter, as well as collectors, uh, we wanted to put together um, a real um, good resource for people. So um, yeah, each week now, uh, we're going to be pu um, publishing an article also that um, has something to do with the space, something to do with how you can function better in the NFT space. And so Ev, your, your article that came out in today's newsletter, I thought was really, really helpful. And of course, it's all about keeping your, um, your crypto and your NFTs safe, how to avoid scams. But then if a scam does happen and you've had a compromised wallet, um, there's a real great guide as to what to do if, if that's the case for you. So um, I think that that kind of information is really useful. There's also a, a brand new support page that has been um, published this past week. It's called support.sloika.xyz. And what's cool about that is you can go in and search for any word that um, might um, lead you to a topic that could help you. So we've been migrating all of our, um, all of our useful resources there. So you could just type in the word um, airdrop for example, and learn how to airdrop your tokens from this, that uh, you've minted with Sloika. If you wanted to airdrop a special token to a collector or something like that, we give you directions on how to do that. So um, really cool resource. I love it that the newsletter is becoming even more useful. And I will uh, pin up a uh, tweet here in just a few minutes as you get started. So if people want to hit sub subscribe to the newsletter, they'll be able to for do sure. that easily. Sure. Yeah, I, th I think the common theme is that we... we forget how much slang professional slang we use these days uh like airdropping and burning uh and for all the new people that get into the space they're like what is an airdrop uh and like how do i burn uh and like you know like if you want to burn and release well kind of like there's so many uh questions to just uh cover these basic topics but then uh, there, there comes realizations like, oh, when you're burning, you're actually not burning anything. Nothing is deleted. Uh, and that's a whole different uh, baggage to unpack in a way. Um, and so this is a resource, like I've seen some really great effort uh, in space to try to create like educational games where you like solve different puzzles and learn about Web3. Uh, we probably not trying to build like an educational company, uh, but we put a lot of effort in having a whole bunch of topics uh, that are not necessarily Slurk related, but will help uh, anyone getting onboarded to learn about those things. Um, how, again, how to protect yourselves, how to uh, manage your assets, how to manage your metadata, 
um, and, and stuff like that. Or, you know, for artists that are in regions of the world that are not very uh, friendly to U.S. government or vice versa, uh, how to make sure that your as- assets are uh, sensor resistant, for, uh, for example, and what it means to actually uh, create and maintain those. Um, one interesting tidbit of information that um, I learned this week is that the government of Taiwan actually uh, adding IPFS to a list of their tricks that they use and uh, some of the servers and some of the data uh, that they uh, will maintain will basically have an IPFS backup because they do believe that it will be the best way of uh, any opportunities to basically build sensor-resistant data. Yeah. Well, you said that you had a couple of questions to kick off things uh, from Sabod and Steve. Did you want to uh, dive into those? Well, uh, I see Stephen listeners. Uh, I don't know if he wants to come up and speak, but his question was about uh, hardware wallets. Um, he basically was mentioning uh, like our article that we published in the newsletter and basically how to deal with uh, getting hardware wallets and whether it's useful. My personal opinion that's been kind of, oh, here's uh, Steve. I don't know, if Steve, if you want to ask that yourself. <laughs> well, I think you put it very well. I actually had gotten confused between Treasure and Ledger and uh, thought something uh, weird happened with Ledger. But in fact, they're both out there. And, uh, you know, if you look up reviews of them, they pretty much come up neck and neck. And I'm um, curious as to which you would recommend or is any cold wallet uh, you know, good enough? Well, that's that's an excellent question. And, you know, kind of like the very simple thing to start with is that what exactly you're getting with the cold wallet. Uh, your cold wallet can become a hot wallet really quickly. It depends on how you use it. Uh, or you can have a hot wallet that can be a, hot, a cold wallet instead. So the benefit of uh, a hardware wallet like Ledger or Trezor is one just one simple thing the private key is not exposed and stored inside of this hardware device this is the kind of like the beginning and the end of that and so if you maintain that security well if during the setup you are not uh reading the uh, secret uh, phrase out loud uh or not recording that you know in your tattoos or just like putting it in your notes app or whatever that is the maximum level of security. Uh, and so if you do that, and you and again, like you don't even have to write down your seed phrase. You can just basically uh, write it down and burn it if you want it. And that will be the maximum security you can get. Like not even you will be able to ever retrieve your funds. So then you'll have to maintain physical access to Ledger or any other hardware wallet. Um, the key benefit as as I see that and as security experts see is that if you are not exposing this wallet to the internet, then it's uh, extremely safe. And basically, uh, there are some people that use Ledger for every transaction they make. So they uh, attach their Ledger, they transact, they confirm the transaction. In my personal opinion, it is less secure. Because what happens is that if you are on uh, a site that you give permission to steal all your crypto or have all permissions to steal all your NFTs, uh, 
then the ledger will not help you. The only reason that it will help you is that you have to confirm that particular transaction. So unless you're reading this data and you're like, oh, something is weird. There's this little piece of code that tells me that uh, it asks approval for all. And I don't know what it means. Uh, and I will say yes or no anyway. Uh, that will basically will not matter. So they will have access to your wallet. Uh, and there's nothing that can be done. So this is kind of like a very important distinction to uh, be able to read this data. And, you know, good for all of us creators is that uh, MetaMask has recently done some updates to their app to make sure that you're able to read this information easier. So they will say like, this site will give approval uh, to, to be able to control and move all your assets of this particular class, like board apes or whatever. Um, and this, yeah, this is kind of like, that's the tricky part because if you see like a free mint, that's something that we mentioned in the newsletter, or you know somebody uh, sends you a link and say like, oh, just go in there, connect your wallet, and just sign the transaction. Um, if you do that without uh, paying too much attention, well, that's it. So kind of like that's the uh, shows how early Web three is. And again, for people who've been here for many years, let's say like five or six years before we didn't even have wallets. I mean, you would have a wallet, but there's no like user interface um, to to use that. You just have your terminal and like you do whatever you need to do. Uh, no fancy buttons, no cute confetti flying around, uh, nothing like that. And basically you're like, you just have the wallet and you do what you want to do with that. Um, so we moved past this, but still to have a single wallet that has your identity uh, all of your, uh, let's say, assets and all of your crypto in one place, that seems to be uh, quite a significant flaw where one transaction can basically steal all of that. So is there a place in the code that you could actually read that? Like, are, should you, like, search for say yes to all? Or, like, is there a phrase in there that um, someone can look to see if they're signing something that is, nefarious or not um yes those are the updates that metamask for example did to give it slightly more clear explanation so it would say like you're you're signing uh with this particular website to give access to all of your board apes so they'll request the specific contract in this in this particular case unfortunately people i mean you know not everybody's tech savvy uh i don't expect people everybody to be tech savvy and that's the biggest flaw. Like the, the actual hacks of wallets uh, or computers is so unlikely that it's probably not worth, like, you know, I'm constantly, uh, you know, my, my team knows that I share some links to uh, uh, both crypto research and hacker research. And uh, it's mind boggling how advanced it can get and how uh, scary it is to, uh, potential live in a world where you cannot even like charge your phone without it getting compromised. Um, but for majority of people, that's not a concern. And uh, for majority of people, uh, it's not worth hacking their uh, their wallet, for example. Um, I don't even know exactly how, how long it might take. Like with supercomputers, maybe, I don't know, between a few months and a few years, uh, if you have a 12 uh 
12 word seed phrase and maybe between five years and I don't know, 100 years if you, if you use a 24 uh, word seed phrase. So there is a bit of an improvement in using 24 seed phrase. So if you started with your wallet with 12 um, words, then you might want to upgrade by moving to a different wallet. So that's kind of like one uh, potential uh, uh, flaw that basically computers are getting powerful enough that maybe in five years that wallet will be uh, very inefficient. And again, like if you have enough money in this wallet, it might be worth hacking. But unless you have probably between like 20 and 100 million dollars in there, it's probably not worth it. Well, I think one thing, one takeaway that I had, and I think it's just what kind of reiterating what you just said, it's like that the, most of the compromised wallets situations have happened because of social engineering about, you know, people clicking on the wrong thing, clicking on inadvertently clicking on something that, um, you know, exposes their wallet rather than, like you said, an actual hack, which could take a really, really long time. Um, Steve, I wanted to know, did, um, did you have any follow-up questions to that? No, this is a great answer. And I would encourage everybody to read the newsletter it's an excellent article and it's written in Anglo-Saxon, plain English, very good. And I was glad to see that and also glad to hear about the new support page because I think one of the biggest barriers to getting more people into the space, more collectors, more traditional artists is the language, okay? The lexicon is filled with these weird words. Well, okay, I mean, you know, everything has weird words, but you get used to it, but it's like, you know, defining those and speaking in plain English, um, or plain language rather, is just so critical because I think fear is one of the things that keeps people away. Fear that it's going to be too hard. Fear that they're going to get ripped off. And I think that, you know, when you take the headline, uh, you know, in, in you take the headlines in the media, which of course, you know, they're very good at taking things out of context and completely distorting it. So it makes for good clickbait. Uh, people are afraid, and I think having good information out there is critical. Um, I, I think the answer was terrific, and um, it also brought to mind a general uh, truism that uh, lawyers sometimes say, and that is, if you can speak, nod. If you can write, speak. I add to that, if you can email, don't. But in point of fact, I think what, what Ev is saying here is just reduce the amount of information that's out there that's traceable. And I mean, ultimately, burning your seed phrase and then swallowing the ashes is about as good as it's going to get. So um, I think that this is great advice. And I would also urge people to carry it over into your regular personal computing life. Uh, you know, again, can't say it enough. Uh, I am in the, the, you know, in the web business and uh, we have a lot of clients and when they get hacked, it's through social engineering. It's just, they're used to clicking, they see something, they get an email, they click on it. And I think that in, uh, you know, in the web world, that's bad enough. It's worse in web three where there's actually more at stake. So anyways, I thought that was a great answer. And uh, I hope you write more articles like that and keep your um, help material simple and easy and searchable. And I think that Sloika will be again, pushing the boundaries of what a platform can do. So thank you very much. And you're right. So yeah, majority is through social engineering, uh, but kind of like the, I guess, 
the part where we see happening, and maybe that's Web3, maybe that's uh, just kind of like inevitable, is that there is a, like lazy social engineering when just somebody sends you a, a, a DM and it's completely like from a random stranger and it just says, mint this now or something like this. And, you know, frankly, in my DMs, I get those, I don't know, 50, 100 a day or something like this. It's like free mints and uh, other stuff and um, Twitter spam filters, I guess, like I, I don't know how to call them, would catch most of that. But it's it, you can see that it's just like simply spamming people over and over again with uh, with an idea that somebody will look at that and click on that. And basically clicking on anything is likely to be safe. Uh, again, there's if there's any crypto security experts, you know that you need to have like a big asterisk next to this statement. But generally clicking on links is okay. We cannot go on and say, oh, never click on any link. Uh, but what's important is that, yes, there's links that can be uh, uh, engineered to execute some, some parts. And depend, again, depends on if you're on Mac on PC, there might be some differences. Uh, sometimes I just... You know, if something is very shady, I would be like, you know what? Uh, I'll do it through uh, a separate browser that I don't use on my iPhone through VPN. <laughs> and I would open it and there would be like an exe file or something like this. And I'm like, okay, I uh, I get it. Uh, like, I'm not going to click on that. And even if, even if I do, the phone will not be able to uh, run this uh, particular piece of code. So... There is some security measures, but generally it's the connecting your wallet to the websites that you don't know uh, or you don't trust. And as we know, there's so many mints, there's so many projects, there's so many, um, like I see photographers uh, having mints on their own website, which is kind of cool and I think kind of inevitable as well. Uh, but every time you know you do this, you have to trust that this particular company or a person or a team is having good uh, intentions in mind. And it's not always the case. So even this week, there's been uh, Pseudorare, um, a project that vanished with about $800,000 in uh, user funds. Uh, again, nobody knows who's the team behind that. And so it's incredibly important to basically not try to... Uh, I guess, be that optimistic about all those things because, you know, there will be another board apes, but this one will be reversed. Um, somebody would airdrop me like uh, an NFT of another project. And I don't know, like if, if the NFT itself is a scam or they just want me to have it. Um, so, and again, just looking in my uh, DMs or like request the spam, seeing how much, uh, unsolicited uh, spam uh, we or like scam and spam we have to deal with makes the space incredibly hard. Like it's just uh, difficult. And so, yeah, that's, that's basically kind of like, you know, one big take is that uh, security is important. Knowing uh, the common issues are important, but I think most importantly is uh, getting this work done uh, from the Web3 developer's point of view uh, and having 
ability to manage permissions differently. So like I shouldn't be afraid to connect my wallet to a random website because if that's the case, we wouldn't get too far. And so that means separating identity uh, and having that kind of like in a way wallet independent. Um, I think we had something like this a space uh, about a week ago um, with my co-founder where we talked about Tornado Cash and Tornado Dust. And so you can cause some real damage. And this is basically the same as swatting, um, which is kind of like a, a nasty thing to do to people. People still do this. Uh, people go to jail for that. But now you can do it like with two clicks and think that it's funny, but it's kind of not. Um, and so that whole thing will have to evolve to be more uh, just like secure in, in one way and transparent in another way, basically. It is such a dance, isn't it? And I know another another theme that really kind of comes out when we're talking anything about crypto um, is, you know, you're in charge of your own security. <laughs> so you do have to um, you do have to do things right. Um, be careful about what you're clicking on, you know, um, know when to put on the brakes. Like you said, like if you open something and you're like, whoa, this does not look right. Um, just it's best to just back away. Don't click on it. Um, get away, <laughs> walk away. Um, we have Sabode also on the stage and I wanna say good morning to Sabode or good evening as it may be for you. How are you doing today? Hi Pam, it's good evening of course and good morning to all of you. Uh, sorry I couldn't come to your space of wildlife as much as I would love to talk there. I had my own space running and I even kept Ev as a co-host is there for a while. Uh, speaking of links, uh, Ev, I sent you a link so you can have a look at it and buy it whenever you like. Not my work, of course. Uh, but that aside, you know, the, the question to ask Ev was about this. Uh, you know, I've, I've been reading about this X2, Y2, uh, you know, where uh, people, the buyers can decide the kind of royalties they want to give to the artist. or They may not give anything at all. It's their choice. It could be zero royalties. How does this work? You know, like if the smart contract already carries that information, how can... How does it work? Like, how do they overwrite it, or what's going on there? Um, yeah. Oh, so what you're. This is very new, and kind of like I think it will take time to process this. Um, but something that I shared almost a year ago. Again, kind of like you know, people who follow me, people who uh, been on our spaces, know that we unpack technical details quite often. So you know, smart contracts, your own provenance, metadata, and, and all of that. And we've been doing this for close to a year, maybe more. Uh, and so one of the things that's very true in the space is that uh, we strive to have uh, creators' royalties. And I think, frankly, it's one of the best things that NFTs have uh, is that you can have a set percentage of royalties. Uh, there are some platforms that have a preset amount. Uh, there's been some controversy where some platforms decided to put it at a very small amount. There's been some that have it at a fixed amount. Uh, but you know what we tried to do from the beginning is that you're able to set your own royalties. You want it to be at zero? Sure. You want it to be at 10% as most people choose? absolutely fine you want to have something special and put it at 15 20 or 25 percent be my guest and so those things are kind of like an important 
uh, aspect of what we consider to be Web3. You know, when we are able to say, I want to release this work, but if if I, I guess, you know, if this work is appreciated, if it grows in value, if I do something very interesting uh, and this work become valuable, I want to get paid if this work is resold. The interesting fact is that this is not a new phenomenon that actually in some parts of Europe, uh, if the artist is alive, the during the resale, you know, if Christie's and Sobeys and uh, those auction houses resell work, they have to pay royalties, uh, percentage royalties back to the original author. So we're not inventing kind of like a brand new crypto wheel. Uh, I thought we did until I started reading about the history of arts and visiting more museums. Uh, and that really opened my eyes that, hey, a lot of things been there before. Um, but it's definitely uh, haven't been the case in the United States or in North America, mostly. And so that is a fairly new uh, concept. But what's been happening is that there's two types of royalties. One set of royalties is on chain, something that is written in a smart contract, and that's what Sloika does. Uh, the other set is the database royalties, uh, where basically that's what OpenSea does, where royalties are uh, centralized, and that's why you're not getting paid immediately because they're not on chain. You get paid at whatever schedule um, the company chooses. And so that distinction was important because then it's going to be important to basically have uh, on-chain royalties because we wanted to build uh, a collection of marketplaces. So not just us, but SuperRare and Foundation and a whole bunch of others uh, to work together in order to basically have this uh, fair playground for everyone. Uh, but... Any developer knows, uh, and again, we've been unpacking this for about a year now, every developer knows that you can actually, and unfortunately, ignore parts of the code. And uh, from you know what's, be, what's been blowing up uh, this morning is that uh, the marketplace X2Y2 announced that if you, if you want to not pay the royalties that are embedded in the smart contract code, you will have the option to do so. So for most artists, it means that they may not get the royalties. Uh, it obviously the majority of volume happens in the PFP space, so like board apes and a whole bunch of others. So that will cut out the percentage of royalties that are embedded in those projects. Usually slightly smaller than the art projects. Uh, the majority that I've seen is probably between five and seven percent. But basically, uh, in a way that stifles the teams and whatever terms that they put in inside of this because you're able to trade uh, and bypass those royalties. And uh, that is sort of new. Um, I don't know if it's inevitable or not, but it's, it's sort of new. And I think it will take another, I don't know, another few days or a week uh, to unpack and what it means and whether other marketplaces will realize uh, and might want to do the same. And I hope not, but uh, obviously that's a, that's a big issue to, to discuss. Yeah, so but I was wondering where, where you ran into that. Um, is it just uh, showing up on your, on, in your Twitter sphere? No, uh, a magician sent me that. His name is, name is Ev. And I, he sent me that, I read it, and I was like, I'm not understanding what's going on. So I told I'll talk to you in a space. 
and i use this opportunity right now to jump on that uh, particular question and whatever is said now it's processing in my head it takes some time for me to even come back with something else on that as a follow up yeah and i got it from someone else who is in speakers too so uh, it's uh, who's sorry in, in listeners uh, as well so it's kind of like uh i guess a fresh issue and um you know one, one thing that i highlighted in the private conversation is that uh when coinbase nft launched um and subot i think you remember that issue as well uh when coinbase nft launched they ignored any royalties set uh on OpenSea. um and you know the reason is very simple and technical is that those are not on chain royalties and so to be able to know and read them you kind of need to have an access to OpenSea database or you know whatever um and so they chose to just basically say like oh you're not getting any royalties from this uh in essence these that's just kind of like uh evolution of the space and i think for artists that's going to be an important signal is that uh if x2 y2 wins uh or if open c wins i mean like you know there's been interesting implications with uh one or the other and so whether you choose one marketplace or the other marketplace uh that is that will affect basically what the winners uh think the the right approach is yeah i remember you sharing that coinbase uh, especially because you used my image as an example the taj mahal image which i have collected uh, from the editions he put it on coinbase and showed me that you're getting no royalties enjoy open sea i'm like shit okay and that's when i think i uh, started voicing out more and more that you know if you're getting on open sea make sure it's on manifold at least that way you'll carry it forward and otherwise you're going to lose out on this whole thing but yeah thanks for all the knowledge and, and so now whether it's manifold or sloika or foundation or super rare that set on chain royalties uh will be uh you know will not be able to do anything uh if more marketplaces decide to make royalty payment optional um and you know kind of like when we when we do things like collectives uh, and we do it through uh, like a special tool like zero x splits uh and if collectives choose uh, a gacha listing for example uh there's a lot of activity that happens uh if there's a sale that happen you can see it in etherscan there's like a very clear transaction this is the fee this goes to this uh multisig account this goes from a multisig account to somewhere else um and basically because everything uh, is like clickable and linkable on on pages to find out uh where the payments went and like you know what's the amounts is very clean and clear so it's kind of like part of the important provenance that you get with this and so having those uh uh having those payments i think is very important as well and kind of like you know going back to compromise wallets for example if uh you sold some nfts and you want to uh and your wallet has been compromised you kind of have to abandon the wallet uh and so there there's a lot of kind of like those decisions what to do with the nfts that you sold uh do you want to restart this provenance um and things like that and so uh yeah i think it's it's just an interesting problem um again like don't want to analyze and unpack it to 
too much because I think it might change. I remember when Binance uh, did something like this on their marketplace and they put royalty at 0.01% or something like that. Uh, it's been a while back and basically uh, that was uh, a big issue. I don't think they fixed it uh, or I don't think they care to fix it, but uh, those things, they uh, tend to flare up basically. And I think what's noticeable is that as a community, we don't have too much uh, power over that. So if XTYT wants to do this, well, kind of like, sure. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, like it's it's Web3. So that's where we get Uniswap and SushiSwap uh, that are just basically clones, uh, w one cloning the other. But everyone, my mind is still, as I said, processing the information. Sorry for a noob question. But is there any way that we as artists can prevent our work from being sold on such platforms or we are completely out of control? Because if you see if someone buys from Sloika, it after you buy and when it goes to the secondary, it reaches OpenSea and then it's up to the people to take care of it as they want. They list it and then someone comes and buys it. But is it the same uh, that it would end up on X2Y2 and people who buy can then decide what they want to do with royalties or how does it work? Do we have any uh control? Yeah, no, in, in a way, you kind of don't have that control. So you, you can have control over provenance. You can have control, uh, like, for example, you know, if you mint your NFTs properly, the marketplace cannot delete them. So that is a one big thing that you're getting if you're minting them on Sloico, on Manifold, you know, Foundation, and elsewhere. Uh, you basically have this control. So you can choose... Uh, if you sell it, if you don't sell it, if you sell it at specific price, if you're burning this, and what does burning means again? Uh, and every marketplace has their own burn address, which is also another thing we might unpack on the next uh, week's episode. Um, and like you don't know if nobody controls this wallet or somebody controls this wallet. So there's always a lot to uh, unpack in Web3 because uh, there's a lot of marketing terms that are obscuring the nature of things. Uh, and there is a lot of uh, things that people perceive as uh, as one. And, and basically, you know, technology, like basically I'm trying to unpack this technology is what I'm interested in. And uh, to your questions about, um, I don't think it's possible to block a properly created NFT from you know, from it being transacted on a particular marketplace. At least I haven't uh, seen a precedence for this. And it would be a very curious case when you say like, okay, I minted it and now I want to choose to block the sale of my NFTs in this particular marketplace, which is a very interesting, uh, you know, case of how we might think about the future of Web3. Um, but it's true, like pieces of code uh, can be ignored such as royalties, uh, that's what we, you know, unpacking. It doesn't, it sounds like the wild, wild west a little bit, um, but that's why we're here to uh, to kind of like, as I was saying, unpack some of these issues and at least get some more understanding about what's going on out there, what to look out for um, and that sort of thing. And um, I know you had some some other announcement that you wanted to talk about as about um, about spatial, but uh, we have we've invited Dave Yoder to the stage as well. I wonder, um, Dave, welcome to the Sloika Darkroom. What you got going today? Oh, uh, just just post. Um, 
uh, actually um, uh, working working on uh, another submission to to Sloika right now, and that's actually if I can be greedy, I'd like to ask ask two questions. The first one uh, is pretty simple: um, Is there any risk to our to what's in our wallets uh, related to the 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 famous or infamous merge that's that's going to be happening next month. Um, is there any risk at all to funds, you know, to I mean, to ETH or or assets or or whatever? Um, and and I just uh, I guess the second, you know, in, I I went ahead and got a ledger, uh, hard wallet or cold wallet, whatever you want to call it, and um, I'd uh, I'd like to be able to. Uh, move my uh, ENS name that I'm using with Sloika to my ledger uh, rather than the original Coinbase wallet that it's attached to right now. And is that a big, is that a big pain in the butt? I think um, I got, I think Kevin, Kevin just kind of suggested that it takes some, takes some work and I didn't want to be a pest, but uh, those, those are my two questions. Oh, uh, both are excellent. So the first one is fairly easy. Uh, whether the merge is uh, going to affect anything that's in your wallet, the answer is no to a 99.9 .9 degree of confidence. Uh, always something weird can happen. Uh, obviously, we're also discussing on another episode uh, what Vitalik was sharing about the merge, uh, kind of like what's happening, when it's expected. Uh, by now, that's about three weeks out. Uh, there's one more thing that uh, the Ethereum, I forgot what they're called, the Ethereum Foundation uh, will be doing is uh, one little update on September 6th, and then the final merge around September 15th. And that date is not final. That date depends on uh, basically all the miners remaining in place, uh, but there's also already been miners who are selling their mining rigs because they will become useless uh, for Ethereum in just about three weeks' time. So probably, not probably, like 99.9% .9 no risk to your assets, uh, with a tiny little caveat that if you like to trade and if you like to uh, continue supporting the proof of work um, uh, fork that is likely to happen, and you know there's some miners with interest that are trying to make that a reality, uh, then it's likely that you'll have a duplicate set of assets. Uh, but it's likely that those assets will be worthless. But if you trade them separately on two different forks, then you are opening yourself to a very kind of like obscure but not impossible attack where basically one trade on one network can be replicated and replayed on another uh, network. Uh, nothing to like a lot of technical stuff, but usually nothing to worry about. Uh, all the test nets have been merged. All the test nets are successfully now on proof of stake and they are working fine. Uh, and, you know, those test uh, ETH that uh, is on those networks continues to operate as normal. So should be all great. Um, the second question, so the ENS and identity and kind of like where you keep it, um, basically 
Oh, that's a that's an interesting one to unpack because kind of like from the technical perspective, it's very simple. You basically need to go to the your ENS manager, the not, not the physical person, but like the the app ENS dot domains, uh, and point that uh, ENS to your new wallet. Uh, basically, update the record, pay a little bit of a gas fee, and you're good to go. If you want to double check if you did it correctly, you simply type your ENS name in the ether scan. And if it points to the wallet that you want it to point, then you're good to go. So people can send you uh, funds and find you uh, by using your uh, ENS. The t- tiny caveat that you mentioned is kind of like how it works with Sloika. And we, you know, when we were planning how the system should work, we wanted to take uh, the decentralized first approach. And instead of having usernames, we wanted to make sure that it's as Web3 uh, as possible. Again, with a giant asterisk for people who know about the difficulties of decentralization, know that a full decentralization is almost impossible to achieve today. Uh, or like if it is possible, it is very, very inconvenient. And so we chose the path that will have the best way to be more Web3 centric uh, rather than like Web2 platforms like OpenSea, for example. Uh, And so when you choose your username, when you make an account, when you're moving assets and you're changing metadata and doing other things without paying any gas fees, the the caveat is that you're not actually making any uh, on-chain changes. Those are all local. And so the same goes to the usernames. You're not picking a username. That username is basically made from your ENS address. And uh, if it changes, there might be some little breaking changes. I'm sure we can uh, arrange and fix them. So uh, speak with Kevin or our team to make sure that we can help there. Uh, but in, in essence, this is kind of like a big caveat. Is uh, Is it... Like, do we want to use the platform that is very convenient, but not even close to Web3? Or do we want to build something that is uh, closely resembles the decentralization that we want to see and the sensor-proof information structure that we want to see? Or we're okay with, like, having a very expensive uh, Flickr, you know, for for that matter? Uh, That's a big question. Uh, I don't think we have a, a solid answer just yet. Um, okay, so so what uh, if I want to move my uh, you know Dave Yoder ENS uh, .eth address to my ledger um, specifically regarding uh, uh, Sloika? What do I do? Do I say I want to do this, or do I go ahead and do it, or uh, um, does it take some special arranging, or? Um, uh, uh, go ahead, yeah. Go ahead and do this, so we can uh, handle this on on our side. Okay, and then I'll just send an email. Uh... Yeah, th- th- this is the funny part about Web three, right? Where you're like, well, we want to decentralize everything, but then uh, if you want to make a change, please email us. Okay, uh... that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, thanks. And, and like, we obviously want to. Uh, um, 
get out of that particular again i've seen it across the web it's like hey you want to use this contract email us and it will take two weeks for us to uh review this so uh, a lot of work to be done like it's not uh it's not always trivial uh, the the amount of work that need, needs to get like basically needs to get arranged, um, but yeah, that's that kind of also shows you how early uh, this whole space is, and it's like those are smart people working on those things, uh, and yet it takes time to make sure that it all works together. Yeah, so so the series that I minted also went to the Coinbase wallet and. I don't. I don't really see a need to to try to move that as well. That sounds like even more of an unnecessary headache. Um, so I, I, I'm just talking about the ENS name and and I and and just so that you know, future transactions will uh, uh, will be happening on my ledger. Um, but the series that I have with uh, Slika right now, I'm just going to leave it where it is, just to not complicate things. Uh, yeah, and and this this is kind of like go, goes back to the very first um, topic that we chatted about uh, the compromise wallets because once this happens, uh, the artists or like anyone with a compromised wallet is basically like a race against time. It's like, oh shit, I have to move this, this, and this, and this, and I have to put some money in and do the transaction before. Uh, people who have access to my wallet are able to detect this and uh, steal even tiny little amounts of ETH that I put there. So it's, uh, and and like, this is your identity. And for this, I don't think there is any good solution. It's kind of like, what if you keep your hot wallet and some of your name in one place, and then there's a cold cold wallet with some other name uh, that is also you. It's like a, I, I don't know, I guess like a, a hip business card that you have, and that's your hot wallet, and a professional business card that you have that is your yeah. uh, other name. And so maybe that is a solution, but then we're like, hey, we have multiple identities. We have multiple you know, things to manage, and that becomes a bit uh, overwhelming. And again, it all is about this provenance. And you know, again, kind of, kind of like visiting museums and unpacking what uh been happening traditional arts for like 500 years uh at least that's that's where the artworks end um where which i was like browsing mostly they have this provenance on um, on oil and canvas and sometimes they would write descriptions like metadata on front of the canvas inside the picture itself sometimes they would write who is the buyer and who is the seller and collector on the back of the canvas so like that would actually survive like 300 years 400 years Uh, with what we're building with web3 we want to have very similar longevity uh, and we think that NFT is enabled by IPFS and blockchain will have an opportunity to do so but we have to be very, very careful in choosing those technologies because they become obsolete. And when people look at NFTs from, you know, early 2016, many of them are broken because the technology changed so much so that um, you kind of have to wonder uh, basically what will happen in the next 10 years, whether, you know, whether we'll have to keep upgrading our contracts over and over again to, to make sure that they yeah. maintain uh, that uh, longevity. 
Oh, and one one last little follow up at the risk of being greedy. Um, do you see any possibility of a major fluctuation in the value of ETH uh, resulting from the merge? Like, say, something goes wrong, you know, or something like that. Um, I would say do your own research. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So not All right. Financial advice. <laughs> Uh, there's there's both sides that are competing. Uh, there's some who are, you know, sort of like short sellers. Um, obviously, you cannot short ETH directly, uh, but you can bet on uh, decline in ETH price if something goes wrong. Uh, and you can sort of see the spread between staked ETH and regular ETH, whether it's uh, increasing or declining, uh, because staked ETH is something... If you are a proper validator and your ETH is properly staked, where you put like 32 ETH to become a validator, to receive rewards and to run your node to validate proof of stake, uh, you are not able to withdraw this ETH. So that will become your normal ETH once the merge happens. So very quickly, people started doing this uh, about, in, I think, in December 2020, when that first became possible on Ethereum network. And from that point, you know, if you were the very first to stake your ETH, you would get sizable uh, return on your investment, something like 40% a year, 30% a year. Uh, but it declined as more validators uh, came online. And now that uh, is, uh, I don't have the exact data in front of me, but probably around 4% that they are expected to make if they continue staking their ETH. But withdrawing this ETH will not be possible until the Ethereum Foundation uh, basically declares that it clears the path and you know put some upgrade in in the in the network itself so that you can unstake it. So this is kind of like the potential risk that you're getting. But so far, it seems to be like rated at like four uh, percent. That that four percent that you're getting if you can lock your ETH for a year. So. Kind of like, I don't know if that gives you an answer. Um, generally, myself, uh, I'm long ETH. But at the same time, I don't really care about the price of ETH because for us, it's a utility. We use it to deploy uh, like smart contracts. We use it to do other things. Uh, and basically, we it's a, it's a utility that we continue using daily uh, in, in like what we build. Really great questions there, uh, Dave. Thank you so much for joining in the conversation. Did did you get everything answered? Um, as as much as I have knowledge to ask, uh, yeah, it's you know definitely a big big time learning process uh, for me. So um, it's it's you know yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Absolutely awesome. That's that's great. Um, thanks thanks Ev for. Uh, for teaching all of us along the way. I think um, just even hearing other people ask questions that, you know, we, we think we might have heard or, you know, um, sometimes you can't hear those enough because I think each time you hear the answer back, you might just pick up a little extra um, knowledge that uh, will help you feel even more comfortable in this space. Um, and we have Sushin up here now. Um, welcome, Sushin. It's great to see you here. How's it going? Hey, hey, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Um, I have like a question. Maybe I, I, I think I know the answer, but I'm just curious. Um, when you have like a multi-sig setup with Gnosis on um, 
let's say on like your MetaMask that owns your ENS, and if your ENS gets compromised, can the funds and NFTs still be transferred out, even though you already have a multisig assigned to it? So, uh, just to clarify, like imagine you have a multisig where your funds are, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so who are the signing authorities on this multisig? It will just be like other wallets that you have, just they're separate seeds. So, you know, you might have like a ledger that might be assigned, or you might have another MetaMask or another Coinbase wallet that's assigned. Or so basically other wallets that you own to protect your main one that has your ENS. In and it. your question is what happens if you sign with this multisig to some um, compromised website, let's say? Yeah. So the oof, that's a that's a great question. Technically, uh, in a multisig like Gnosis Safe, for example, mm-hmm. every transaction has to be approved, approved. by yeah. you know, two out of three or three out of four or four out of four, whatever the setup is. And obviously, you can change that. Um, so, in essence, that should not be possible because the uh, but but I'm thinking of a case where like this multisig, let's say it has some assets and has some NFTs, decides to connect to the particular website and basically signs this authority to allow any transfers. Um, and that's actually, yeah, that's a question I would love to get an answer myself. Um, I think... My guess is that it should be not possible, but uh, I'm worried that I might be off in this particular answer. Right. I think it's more so as long as, like, what I'm thinking is as long as you don't initiate the first sign that triggers the other signs, it shouldn't be possible. But once you have, like, clicked on this link to, like, Freemans or whatever... Uh, little social engineering that's been you know targeted towards you once you have approved it and you've done it through the multi-sig channel i think then well, it becomes compromised for that specific so interacting of- with nasa safe uh it, it's a little bit trickier you really have to like want to do this right like when when you're on a website you're like okay i'm connecting my multi-sig account and then when you're connecting then you'll have to ask all the parties to confirm that you're connecting to this particular website. It seems to be like multitude of steps. I would say, you know, just for security's sake, just don't do that. <laughs> like whether whether I might think it's safe or others might think it's safe, I would just say, hey, it seems to be a weird use case uh, to do so. And, you know, in uh, kind of like in, in the conversation with other teams, they would use Gnosis Save or other multi-sigs. There's like, um, I'll just comment on something else in a second. Uh, they would use it to either send funds to like contractors or other parties or for specific, uh, you know, withdrawals and distributions, but they wouldn't use it as their like hot wallet, for example. And um, I don't think there's any good use case to use it as a hot wallet. Um, unless you can convince me otherwise. But there's also an interesting use case when there's a wallet. Uh, I believe that's Argent, if I'm not mistaken. That is a smart 
contract, aka also a wallet. And basically, it's you as a signing authority and them. <laughs> so it's a little bit weird uh, setup. And again, I might be off a little bit in details, but uh, in essence, you sort of have the security of trusting, uh, again, security or non-security, I think it's up to the uh, customers and how they use it, but you sort of have this ability to have a company backstop if your wallet is potentially compromised. So maybe some of this, uh, like a hybrid solution, is the way to go. Um, I haven't used that myself. Um, just explore that, uh, you know, on a more theoretical level. Uh, but that may be the way to kind of like both have ability to go around and click on the websites and knowing that the company potentially has the way to stop uh, those transactions uh, if you are asleep or not paying attention, for example. Yeah, there's a there's a handful of services like that that offer a multi-sig where one of them, one of the signers ends up being like their, them, like their company themselves. Um, it's a fascinating idea and i think it's more so like not necessarily for a hot wallet but um i think somebody mentioned um moving like an ens to a ledger i think if you're using your ledger as a as a safety deposit box you might want to do a gnosis on it to control it fully by yourself if you don't have enough people you trust with all your money that you are going to put into the ledger um but i know yeah we we use at super rare we use gnosis for payment related items but Again, it's just allowing other wallets to interact and approve so that you add another safety layer. Um, I know it's something that I've been kind of considering to put one of my main ledgers in a multi-sig of different wallets that I own. Um, more so just of paranoia rather than an actual legit use case. It's like, okay, like I just don't want that seed to get compromised anywhere and I don't also want like the consequences of me forgetting that seed or unable to find it. So I have the other option where if I can give three of my other hot wallets sign off um, or four of them, and it could be a two or three or four uh, multi-sig, it would be helpful, but also at the same time. I think the the, uh, the, the, the sentence you're looking for, if your multi-sig doesn't have a multi-sig, then uh, you're not paranoid enough. And uh, it, it's funny, but it is possible to have a multi-sig account as one of the signatories of the multi-sig account. Uh, that is going pretty deep. And I think it's just important to like stop somewhere. And if that happens, then just probably have several multi-sig accounts. It's sort of like the, what is it called in the States? FDIC insured, where they um, insure a specific pot of money in each account, but not all of that. So nothing stops you from opening your multiple accounts uh, that all will be you know, under a threshold to be uh, FDIC, if I'm pronouncing correctly, insured. So that is probably the similar way in crypto. Like it's nice to use uh, established players like Kraken and Coinbase and uh, Binance. They are sizable enough that uh, they'll probably can survive. Again, like we've seen some really weird things in crypto. Um, so kind of like, again, the giant asterisk and do your own research kind of stuff. Uh, but in essence, you can probably deposit like, you know, one fourth here, one fourth here, and another two places to 
um, to protect yourself and the company as much as possible. Uh, and if something requires like a strategic safety, then uh, I know a company, for example, in Canada, they store uh, their funds in a air gap a laptop in a vault where you know Canada stores its money, basically. And kind of like this is one way of doing it. And like we, you know, we heard about collectors like Alpha, who has uh, what is it, nuclear, uh, nuclear blast proof uh, safes to store his NFTs. And so that's one way to go about this. I think if you are, you know, if there's a nuclear blast outside, I think people might have different worries uh, other than how safe their NFTs are. And uh, you know, what's the price of Ethereum during that moment in time? Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of like an interesting um, discussion about how secure you want to make it. And at the end of the day, it's also how much loss are you willing to tolerate? And I think this loss tolerance is very, very important in how you plan your um, crypto, whether it's for retirement or just as a play money. Uh, that would probably impact a lot how you how you secure that totally i think that's yeah i haven't even considered the inception of like multi-sig and a multi-sig but towards the right direction <clears throat> i know like personally i approach security more so of spreading my funds everywhere so if one of them gets compromised like i know that i'm not going to lose all of it i'm only going to lose that portion of it so um you know, I have multiple ledgers, multiple exchange accounts, and just limiting my exposure to one big hack. Um, and then recently, I've been pondering of the of the multi-sig concept, and I was like, okay, maybe I can use that on one of my ledgers or one of like hard wallets that are out there, like Trezor or Arculus, and just be a little bit more sane about it. No, but this is good. I think this is a great conversation to have, mostly because you as an individual are responsible for your own assets and tokens, and there's nobody else to blame. So, you know, to reinforce like Ethereum or whatever blockchain itself is not easily hackable. It's just you become a target to these attempts, and it's basically like phishing attempts in Web3 that gets funds lost and assets you know overtaken um but i think people just need to slowly learn that hey you at the end of the day are responsible for everything you own for sure and you know that you're speaking uh as a, as a person who works at super rare you've probably seen a whole bunch of people saying that they uh had like scam emails uh people pretending to be uh you know like super acceptance uh, and that makes it so easy because we want to share the news. We want others to support us. Uh, we've seen the same happening with Sloika, getting emails uh, like for violating community standards and, and things like that. And yeah, it causes people to panic. And uh, we're making it so easy by, oh, I guess, oversharing, basically. Like we want to find the collectors. We want to find... Uh, uh, success in this space, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so like whenever there is something like this happening, it just, uh, yeah, it just uh, makes things more complicated. 
Uh, and for anyone with uh, you know a, a sense of cinematography, if you want to do multisig in the multisig, I think Christopher Nolan would like to have a word with you, uh, and there will be like a Web three Inception uh, coming at some point in the future. We, um, should, we should get royalties on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, kind of like a little a little backtrack to royalties uh, that there's actually an opportunity for smart contracts to um, basically have a little bit of a, an extension that would not allow it to be traded on marketplaces that will not enforce royalties. So uh, there is something that Subot, uh, you know, we were discussing earlier. And so technically it is, there is kind of like a bit of a, uh, not a loophole, but an interesting enforcement function. Uh, and I think there will be an interesting to see whether, uh, you know, you'll be able to just check a box and be like, yep, I don't want it to be sold unless the royalties are paid. Uh, and maybe that's the way to go. So again, kind of like uh, adding knowledge as we speak, because this conversation is so fresh that sometimes I get uh, DMs uh, and messages that, help clarify the messages, uh, the kind of like what, what we're talking about in real time. But yeah, I guess short term, there is like a solution to it is that um, I know there's like two main ways you can sell your artwork. Um, one is through a fixed price sale, which is a buy now, you know, like online shopping. And then the other is auctions. And I think if more people revert to auctions, you can kind of avoid dealing with marketplaces that you don't want to because you're only evaluate and, and review bids that are received on the platforms you have listed it on. So it kind of creates that limit limited access to multiple marketplaces. Although your piece, as long as it's on Ethereum, it'll you know, get scraped and shown on all platforms. But if you know that you only want to sell it at one of the platforms or two or the three, whatever it is, you'll only review bids that are coming in there. So there's the offers that are coming in there until everybody figures out how exactly to deal with it if this becomes a normal practice. Um, I know auctions are the, it's a nightmare. Like I've done auctions and like sometimes just not a lot of action there. Um, and it kind of fear some people like away from it too because you're paying a gas fee to put an auction and you might not even get that piece. So there's always like other downsides to it, but Short term, you know, you could put something on an auction on, let's say, for example, Super Rare, um, and it could be visible on Looks Rare, OpenSea, X to Y2. But if I'm an artist on Super Rare, I would only evaluate bids on Super Rare because that's where I'm going to get the most royalties on future sales, right? So it could be a, like a small temporary fix, although I don't know if it's going to stay that way forever. Um, for like all platforms to to acknowledge that, um, or even it to become a norm where you can opt out of listings in different platforms. Yeah, um, one thing that concerned me uh, with with like bids is that like there's a lot of bid spamming, and you've obviously seen some of this where it's like there's like iconic artwork for you know that's like previously sold let's say like for 300 ETH and the offers below it's like 
0.0001 ETH. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so that's something that uh, platforms will have to uh, decide what to do, you know, like a minimum bid or whatever. Uh, but it opens up to kind of like what people do most, you know, try to do some malicious things um or some spamming uh, and even if it costs them a little bit of money because again those bids are not uh, necessarily free you need to still lock in some funds in wrapped ETH and still need to pay gas fees for every bid um we thought a lot about the bidding uh, and things like this and i think the important part uh, is that bidding on l1 didn't make a lot of sense for us uh, that and again like the the changes every day like when we see gas at like 40 or 50 or like bidding does not makes no sense when we see gas at like three or two as it's been in the in the several days uh before that then it's like oh okay when maybe l1 has a you know you can bid on ethereum itself and it makes sense um, but in essence, yeah, it's very unpredictable that you're competing with uh, like big mints or you're competing with some DeFi activity uh, and that basically can skew the uh, transactions there. So uh, that is something to look at. But, you know, for us, we decided that if we're going to do bids, we'll probably do it on L2 um, and uh, transact there until there's a winning bid and we can bring this winning bid back to Ethereum. So uh, we'll see how that evolves. Uh, again, space changes fast, uh, two or three weeks here, and there's a whole bunch of uh, things that we have to discuss. Um, kind of like going back to one of the topics um, that I wanted to touch upon is that we have uh, a new feature um, on Sloika. And this is something we kind of worked for a little bit on. It took, uh, I need to check my, my logs, but probably at least about half a year of, uh, from the very first contact to, um, you know, to basically getting this done. But uh, what we have is an integration with Spatial the, I guess, like the metaverse company. Um, and the, you know, one of the things that we were planning to do is we were always looking at different uh, partners at different companies because there is not just spatial, there's on cyber, uh, there is IceFi, and there's probably another eight or 10 or 12 different companies uh, competing in a similar space to have the best experience for pre presenting works. And, and I think the best is uh, a subjective term, but the two things that I was very impressed with Spatial is that the team behind Spatial is, uh, well, kind of like as a, as a little side note, they're from Toronto, Canada, so that's where I am. Um, and the, the team was behind another project, I think about, 17 years ago that basically made inroads in like 3D modeling uh, and got sold to Google. And so back in the day when it, uh, when the founder and the team were, were making that other product, um, that was the biggest success that Canadian ecosystem, like startup ecosystem had at a time. And it was so 
remarkable that everybody cheered. You know, there was no competition, no like jealousy. Everybody cheered on because it was such a huge, huge deal for uh, all Canadians to be recognized and to be acquired by Google. And I feel like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was the first sizable acquisition of a startup and the first acquisition of Google of a Canadian startup. So like a lot of firsts. And kind of like fast forward a decade or more uh, from from that point, the founding team is making spatial, and that felt like a you know an interesting piece of serendipity. And while being at NFT NYC, I also met with a whole bunch of other companies in the metaverse space, um, and we started looking at kind of like what the tech can do. And my main objective was to find something that can help. Uh, photographers display their artwork and save time. So I have my gallery on on cyber. It's called Collected with a K. Uh, collected a whole bunch of artworks, a lot of photography. Uh, but it, it took me probably between like five and 15 hours in total of setting this up, of trying to figure out the interface, of uh, hanging those artworks to make sure that they match, that the gallery is... Um, kind of like is sizable enough and by the time i was done i collected a lot more photography and so i realized that like oh okay i cannot add a wing to my gallery i actually have to go and redo everything if i want to have more pieces available and so this is kind of like a constant evolution of web3 space but again like we're spending a ton of time doing those little tweaks and trying to figure out the metadata trying to figure out different layouts and Spatial has worked with us to introduce their brand new feature that they probably buy. I think, again, I think it's the world's first. I haven't seen it done elsewhere. Uh, we've been talking to them about this, uh, again, for a little while. But basically, they will auto-generate a gallery for every collection that we have on Sloika. And so that applies to all of the collectives, all of the individual photographers, and if you have a series on Sloika, you can go and check and browse around and walk around in this uh, space. And we think, you know, for just hanging out in this in this uh, space, you can do it together with your friends. You can chat. You can kind of like, you know, do some uh, moves and uh, fly on hoverboard in the space. It works pretty well on the web. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that it's easy enough, that you don't need to like set it up, that you don't need an account, that you don't need to start around like hanging your artworks. Um, and yeah, that's uh, live uh, that you know went live this week. Um, some photographers noticed that a little bit earlier, uh, but now you can see a little button next to every collection that says "View in Spatial" and enjoy those uh, walks in the metaverse. And along those lines, since uh, Dave came up to talk with us and he's got uh, a series on Sloika, I went ahead and pinned it to the top of the space. So um, if anyone wants to go there and try that out, um, yeah, there's just a view and spatial button um, that you can find really easily on the web. I was looking for it on the phone as well. Is there, um, Ev, is there a place uh, on the, uh, if you're looking at it on mobile? I didn't see the spatial button right away. 
Yeah, we, we actually decided to not enable this on mobile. Uh, we might uh, change that decision, but we actually specifically do not display the share uh, buttons on mobile as well as the uh, view and spatial button. I think the interfaces and how you interact on the phone are different from a desktop. But this is, you know, this is kind of like one of those important questions is, is how to make it... Uh, accessible to more people and how to make the experience uh, it, like exactly what you're aiming to have. And so, yeah, this is kind of like our first uh, release. We will, we have some, you know, some changes to make and some improvements to make, but we wanted to bring it to everyone as quickly as possible. And kind of like this is how we build when, when there's something to uh, show and share, we just basically uh, roll it out and uh, ask ask for feedback, you know, like building in public. Uh, and so, yeah, so Spatial is now live. Uh, w whenever you have feedback, please email us, uh, you know, ping, ping me directly, for example, if, if you want to, and your feedback will help make it better. And I know, you know, there's some... Uh, photographers in space like Subot and Eric and a bunch of others that uh, help us move forward <laughs> and help us do new things. Like thanks to Subot, we have additions. Thanks to Eric, we can, you know, learn how to combine and uh, deal with uh, open sea issues to make sure that it all, uh, you know, do it together. Uh, and, um, you know, for example, we have Polly here in speaker, uh, in listeners as well with her help, we had our first, uh, video integration as well. So those things are, you know, how we do and how we build. Well, you know, I thought, I thought Dave's was a, a great, um, example of time saving as well, because he has 50 pieces in his drop. And can you imagine hanging all those in the gallery the way you did as uh, one by one by one? So. Um, yeah, it looks really awesome uh, when you visit the uh, when you visit his series called Fashionista on uh, the web. You can just like stroll through the gallery and feel very fancy. <laughs> it looks really awesome. Dave, have you taken a look at it yet? I'm just curious. Have I looked at my series on Sloika? Of course. Yeah, no, in in spatial, <laughs> like when you oh uh, in spatial. Uh, yeah, if you um, click on that new button. Would would I know if I had? Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So if you uh, go on oh, the right. website. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it looks great. Yes. I think I think I am looking at it. Yeah. Oh no, wait. Um, you know what? I'm gonna look at it next. I'm I'm cleaning bottles for our twins right now. Um, but I'll I'll check it out asap. But thanks. Sounds I'm good. sure every, everything you guys do is great. So I have no doubt. Awesome. GM, everyone. I just wanted to give you the flowers. Um, I feel like your persistence and determination in building within the Web3 and also um, being an integral part of the community is so admirable. You guys are the best. <laughs> Thanks, Polly. <laughs> uh, whenever you 
come on stage and speak. I'm uh, always yeah amazed to hear your voice. Makes everything sound much better. I feel absolutely likewise. And uh, um, last week, Arsenio was sharing some of the uh, technicality of the merge and how you guys are handling it. It's just, I think it's impossible not to act uh, for the way you're approaching things from every perspective. And uh, yeah, I I feel like I'm uh, genuinely happy and proud uh, for what Sloika team is doing. So it's kind of easy to express my emotions and thoughts in a coherent way and to communicate it to you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Polly. It's always great to have you in spaces. I remember your voice from way back when, and you're a super OG photographer with Sloika. So um, always happy to have you here. Um, did you have any other technical questions? Um, from anything that you encountered um, that you need as advice on or anything along the way? Um, I have a very pleasant event that I would like to share. Um, one of my pieces from the Venus collection was on the spotlight in the nude neighborhood. Uh, I feel like it was a week ago. Um, oh, it was Friday, exactly when Arseni was in the space. So that was so exciting. And I feel like it's a big milestone uh, because it was uh, presented um, on the wall of the building. And uh, it was like basically a DJ set for the MFers. Um, yeah, so that's what happened. I'm still holding on to these emotions and uh, uh this accomplishment, I feel like it gives me enough inspiration to progress and keep building, uh, keep exploring or maybe like inventing in a way new genre of the audiovisual experiences. So that's about it. I'm very excited to check out the gallery. Um, I've been noticing that Eve is on his way of becoming the biggest photography collector in this space on a couple of blockchains at this moment. And I was wondering, um, so how do we feel about the future of the blockchain being multi-chain? Uh, or there was like this tweet if um, put up couple of weeks ago about the artwork um like about um oh my god i'm struggling with phrasing it he, he basically stated that it's unnecessary for a creator to mint the same work on multiple blockchains because there is like some coherence and uh, anyone will be able to discover this artwork even if it is on a different chain or what is this vault situation on foundation where like the uh, the artwork from tezos can be dropped into the vault like i'm just curious about that right now 
Uh, well, that's okay. That's a loaded question. I think, uh, first of all, I know that Subot has very uh, nice opinions about multi-chains like Tezos, uh, and probably, Polly, you're a fan of Solana as well. Uh, frankly, it, it's, a, you know, if we take a very long view, we're likely to see a multi-chain world. So kind of like probably as an artist, you probably want to explore and see uh, what's uh, what's all this about. Um, for me, I started collecting on Tezos, for example, probably about a month or so ago. Um, I released just one artwork there as an addition. Uh, that was a very deep learning experience for me, how to treat additions, how to think of uh, scarcity, how to think about pricing. Uh, that is actually informing a lot of things that we're doing um, at Sloika. Um, and I started collecting as well. So it, it's uh, it's a very simple process. Uh, I want to collect photography. I think photographers are amazing people. They deserve support. And I think we need to have more collectors uh, doing that, basically. Uh, yeah, in terms of my collection, it's definitely not the biggest. Uh, it on I want it to become the biggest and most prolific uh, in the world, I'm probably about 1% there. I know uh, a few collectors that are way ahead of me. And, you know, I'm putting part of my savings into this, part of uh, my earnings as well. Uh, and all the proceeds that I get from my sales uh, of editions or one-on-ones that I do. So for me, that's just kind of like the way uh, to support and give back. Uh, yeah, it's probably a long process, so I wouldn't rush it. Uh, we'll see, you know, what happens in the space in the next 10 years. And I think by 2032, it's going to be a slightly more different, uh, space as it is today. And I think for artists who are thinking about their art, uh, definitely try different chains, just kind of like be mindful about what you want to achieve, uh, I guess the only thing, like for me as a photographer and a collector, one thing that irks me a little bit, and this is a personal opinion, 100% personal opinion, is that when people treat uh, Tezos as a as a like a discounted chain, it's like you're going to Whole Foods and you're going to Walmart, and uh, I can get a very similar artwork on Tezos. Uh, or even like not the same, but like very close. Like you really have to know the difference uh, for a dollar. No, not a dollar, like 75 cents on Tezos. But on ETH, the the same artist would ask me to pay between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, and I'm talking kind of like averages here, obviously. But this price differential, I think, is uh, detrimental to the artist. Uh, to the to the artist basically because then the difference is so big then i really need to know what's the intention behind this again personal opinion kind of like i've seen um i've seen those things i've collected those things uh on both chains but as a collector i just want to ask like well what's the intention like is it uh, is it kind of like a signed print but it's a numbered or it's a unsigned, unnumbered print, like a postcard, uh, because on the digital uh, scale, like on spatial or other galleries, it kind of looks the same. So like it's only 
in the intention behind that that where the value is different and you can differentiate between one and the other. Uh, but obviously, you know, kind of like once we talk this, then there's also right click and save and then you don't need to pay for any you just you know have it on wherever you need it to be but that aside uh it's 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 i think it's important to create with intention i don't think you uh, as an artist need to limit yourself to be like oh i minted too many editions or i minted too many it's like too silly to think that you you, you can stop or uh like have some limits to your creativity because people tell you that you're doing too much. I think if you're a very prolific artist and you're making a lot of works, keep doing what you're doing. That's great. Uh, but the market might react to this differently. And again, when we're talking about traditional artists like Modigliani, he was not very happy with the market. You know, he was in the bear market and uh, his life was not very nice. Uh, but now he is extremely... Uh, a valuable artist, even though he's not alive anymore. So kind of like if you take a very long approach, you kind of just want to create art because that's what you do. That's what who you are. Eve, I have the last question. Do you find it more challenging building in Web 2 or Web 3? Because every day I'm being reminded of the success I had on 500px. I feel like my photographer and it's such a pleasant experience or like emotional attachment to it. So, um, yeah, I wonder if like those experiences are correlated. Uh, are you able to implement all the knowledge you learned by building the company in Web2 or it's entirely different approach? Well, I think related to the artist success, uh, kind of like past success does not guarantee future success, as they say in investments. Um, and I do notice that, you, you know, there's there's been, back in the day we had like Google Plus. And before that we had, uh, before Google Bus, we had Google Wave and Google Buzz or whatever, different networks. And I remember that on Google Plus, uh, I and other photographers, it was like very photocentric in the beginning. There were photographers with like 10 million followers. There were photographers with billions of views on their uh, photos. Um, and they held onto the platform as much as possible. Why? Because they had an audience there. Um, and so like if your Instagram, for example, is not growing because Instagram has, you know, changed and now you need to do videos and now you need to do a lot of a bunch of other things. The growth occurred like in the beginning stages of that. And I feel like the same happened with uh, other platforms. Uh, I know Subot will mention Vero, I think. Uh, I would mention like early days of 500 pixels uh, or early days of Instagram, early days of Flickr. But basically, it's like being or like imagine being early on TikTok and understanding how it works and how to uh, harness the power of the uh, uh, you know viewership there. Uh, it can be pretty incredible tool, uh, but it also means that you have to recognize those opportunities and you have to be invested to learn and to build early on them. And so when you're thinking like Web3, 
we're just getting started, right? A lot of those tools that we were building, they did not exist a year ago. Uh, those hacks and scams did not exist a year ago. It was like maybe did not exist like two years ago because that space was like very quiet. Nothing was happening like in before like 2020 for two years or three years. Uh, it was very, very, uh, you know, like passive and uh, uh, docile uh, space, I would say. But what happened is uh, crypto surge and NFTs and interest in NFT surge. And it's kind of like, you know, goes up and down as probably everything in life. But once we take a very long view, I would say you're pretty early. The other question is like, what medium would you choose to, uh, you know, to build your brand? And when we rely on platforms like Twitter, well, those are centralized. Like again, a year ago, we didn't have spaces uh, and now we have spaces. So for some, it's a tool of their success. Uh, it's a tool for, you know, how they build their communities. For others, it was Clubhouse. And then Clubhouse kind of like, went away slowly, but like it sort of happened. I don't know if anybody's checking Clubhouse. It's probably a great app. They had amazing sound technology that like didn't rug anyone and you can have like 100 people speaking at the same time. But it's, it's uh, you, you kind of like want to harness this and then hopefully bring it over to do something useful to you. Um, that, that, that's my take. Uh, but in terms of the technology for the platform builders, uh, Web3 is harder because in in marketing materials, everything works and everything is uh, solid and great. But in reality, it's like, hey, send us an email <laughs> and two weeks later, we'll do something for you. Uh, as, as some have learned the, uh, you know, uh, not so easy way. And that means there's, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, and a lot of technologies that are promised or, or work in theory, are actually are not working in practice. Uh, and it will take a long, long time and a long road to build uh, this to a level that we currently enjoy in Web2. And again, Web2 didn't come overnight, right? It started possibly around year 2000, 3004, I would say is a, like a beginning of Web2. So up until today, we use a lot of Web2 stuff, including Twitter, and that's been what an 18-year uh, journey. So I would strap in for something similar in crypto, uh, assuming that most came into space uh, like around 2016, 2017. I assume that we'll have nice, beautiful, usable, fast and free uh, like Web3 products by around 2037, maybe something like that. Maybe a little bit later. You know, this, this idea that, that it takes like a couple of weeks to get back to you reminds me, I have so many emails in my inbox that um, we are uh, getting close to the end of our time together. But I wanted to just offer if there's anyone else in our listeners who would like to come up, up to the speaker panel to ask a question. I know, Sabod, we brought you back up. I don't know if you had another question or not, but we always love to hear um, if there's any technical questions. Um, I'm seeing a peace sign, but maybe no hand up. <laughs> uh, Polly, did you have any uh, final thing that you wanted yeah, to add? Yeah, just one thing. I just wanted to say that it's extremely reassuring uh, to hear you've been very kind-hearted, humble, 
and a grounded person. Um, I just really appreciate it. And uh, yes, I feel like the future of Web3 is bright as long as he stays the way he is. Don't go changing, Ev. <laughs> Sabon, I do see your hand up now. Yeah, fam. I just had a question for Ev. Maybe he talked about it. Maybe I missed it. Uh, but about the spatial thing, you know, uh, he said it auto, you know, like mounts itself on the wall depending on the collection, whatever you have in the collection in Sloika. But is it something they tweaked it for Sloika? Or can we, you know, I'm a spatial user as well. But in my case, I had to go and manually put all the pictures in place and all those things, you know. Does it happen for everyone, this auto arrangement thing? So the uh, the tool that, that their team was building is for multiple uses. Uh, and Sloika is one of the very first uh, to use that. Um, their other indication is to make it possible for our favorite Web2 platform, Instagram, uh, but in terms of Web3, that's, uh, I think, a very nice uh, combination of being able to just use the smart contract data uh, and pull the NFTs and display those NFTs. Um, if you are kind of like a fan of the gallery but want to have more customization, you can start with spatial website and build your own by hanging all of that art yourself. So kind of like if you want to start combining like multiple collections, maybe the stuff that you collected and the stuff that uh, you have. Uh, but this particular use case is to help display artworks in, in an immersive way and without having to do anything uh, to basically uh, adjust this because I think that's the biggest kind of like time consuming thing um, as a collector again when I collect most of the stuff I see it's like people are not keeping up to date with their links or profiles or pieces being available for purchase uh, or their galleries are like changed URLs and they haven't noticed so kind of like that helps maintain a little bit of that stability um, this is again kind of like going from decentralization to centralization. This is kind of like our way of thinking this. We don't want to say that this is the only way, but we think it will inspire you to go and have, uh, you know, basically a lot of opportunities. Maybe you'll be discovering spatial for the first time. Maybe you forgot about your spatial gallery uh, before and want to update it. So that's um, just basically an opportunity to get your art seen have more ways to display it and again like while we're talking with nfts once you mint them properly uh with a big caveat they will be seen everywhere they are on x2y2 that we discussed earlier they are on uh coinbase nft they're on rareable um what else do we have looks rare uh OpenSea, and a whole bunch of other marketplaces that are uh created every single day so uh your assets are kind of like free floating in this Web3 space. People can start remixing and adjusting them. Um, and oftentimes they are in those marketplaces without uh, maybe people even realizing them. Again, you kind of need to give that uh, particular permission if you want to sell or list them. That's a whole different topic that we probably shared before as well. 
No, actually, my question was, you know, suppose I have like 100 NFTs. Can I go to spatial, in my spatial and say, hang them up? No, I, I don't want to do all these things. Will it do it for me or is it something they tweaked for Stoika to help you? Yeah, they, they tweaked it for us. Yeah, so you, uh, I, th- that's what I wish from every uh, kind of like metaverse company to do. It's just, I want to say, just put this on the walls for me in, in some nice presentation and save me from like hours of hanging that art around. And like, if you look at my uh, collected gallery on, on cyber, that took a lot of hours. I mentioned like between like five and 15, I was uh, attempting this several times and spending a few hours at a time to display just a fraction of my art and now that i ran out of space i also have to be like okay now i need a new gallery and now i need to start hanging one piece of art in one gallery and another piece of art in another and keep track of that so i realized the pain of curators in the actual museums uh, and that's a real work exactly exactly that's what i meant i was gonna say and then then you don't even have to hang them straight. <laughs> like, you know, in a real gallery, they have to like hang them straight and get a ladder and all that stuff. So this is way better. I, I love how fast it just goes up. It's uh, And there seems to be um, a different style of gallery depending on the art. And I love that too. It seems to usually turn out to be a very good uh, matchup. So it's very fun. Go ahead, Sabote. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, not a problem. And that's what I was trying to get to, you know, because first of all, you run out of spaces uh, in your spatial gallery. They have limited space. And then you, in my case, I have 150 NFTs. I can't even take half of them to the spatial because the space is over. Then you can hang it. You know, there are empty walls, but you have to do it manually again. And you're talking about not worrying about keeping it straight. You have to worry about keeping it straight when you're hanging it by yourself. It can go, alignment can go all over the place. Then you have to come back and like in real life, you know, step back and watch it again. Oh, it's not straight. Then go back and adjust it a little. And given it's spatial, there's a lot of glitch. So you try to adjust one degree and it goes 10 degrees and then you're back to the work again. So that's why I was asking, is there a way where I can tell spatial, please put all of this up and just do the work however you like. But unfortunately, as Ev said, we don't have that option so far. So we'll have to wait. Uh, but this is what others are asking. So, you know, for for others, you know, you can submit feature requests. And I did so uh, for multiple things. Because, again, this is the evolving space. Um, and, yeah, like recently we were dealing with artworks not being shown in OpenSea. And I'm like, well, <laughs> here we go again. So I submitted uh, a ticket. And surprisingly, instead of waiting for six weeks, I got an answer the same day. And I'm like, I'm shocked <laughs> and I'm hoping that we'll get it fixed very soon. Uh, but that space is getting better. So we, we actually have some, some things to celebrate where we can um, collaborate and get responses and uh, uh, benefit to make sure that artists uh, and their art are seen properly. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a request we get a lot. Like, a collector just picked up something and it's not showing on OpenSea. Well, there's hidden folders apparently on OpenSea and hiding the art is not really the way to get it shown. But um, that's one reason why we developed that support page for, that I pinned up kind of towards the uh, earlier today. Um, we have some answers of those common questions that we get all the time. But of course, today's the day to ask your special questions of Ev because we have him here live in person. 
Um, Joseph, I wondered if you had a question. We just brought you up as a speaker. Mm, yeah, hi. Interesting conversation. Um, uh, Eb, I'm actually just in my own spatial gallery. I just gave it a try. So I'm talking to you on the phone and I'm next to my desktop at the moment. And I'm having a look around and it's yeah, pretty cool. There's, actually, there were a few people in there already, <laughs> which was kind of fun. Um, but the question is, because I've just seen, uh, you know, at the moment I've got quite a few editions um, sort of going. I've got six photos and 15 editions of each. And it's only pop it's auto-populated only two of the photographs and put multiples of each of the photographs up on the walls. Um, is there a way around that? Um, so that, that's probably something you will be working uh, with, with their team to address. But it basically, so kind of like the way it works on the technical side. And that's uh, uh, kind of like, that's a great question. Is that uh, it pulls the smart contract that belongs to you as a as an artist. Um, and it embeds it in their gallery that is designed to read all of this data uh, at the same time. So without, again, hanging the artwork. Um, since if you have editions, uh, it would display those editions as individual pieces. So kind of like one by one by one. And you kind of can can think of this as, well, if somebody bought one edition and the other edition, they are different, even though it's the same photo. Uh, but I think over time, we can definitely do, uh, uh, like, for example, there's somebody in the space, and uh, uh, I think, so, yeah, somebody asked a question like that, uh, for some photos, it didn't crop it fully properly. Th those are like little things that we need to work out um, this is something, you know, we'll, uh, we'll just talk to their team and, uh, see what can be done. Um, that's been a project that we've been working most actively for the last couple of weeks, but being in communication for a, a while and yeah, the, the, you know, like treat it as a beta version, I would say, like, uh, the improvements and things that you want to address, uh, if we and their team and spatial team, uh, hears about them and those are like critical issues that will be addressed. Um, and you know, the, the end result is that it's something that you would enjoy using and that you would find, um, usable to show collectors maybe you'll be like on the phone and be like hey let's walk around my gallery i'll tell you all about my pieces but we can be in uh, spatial together and talk uh you know right right there right at the at the same time because uh, for me, like when I think of museums, uh, again, I was visiting a museum in Philadelphia the other weekend. It's a thousand kilometer drive to the city. It's a $25 ticket, but without gas fees to enter the museum. Uh, the gas fee is the travel time and the uh, hotels and everything. Uh, but in kind of like in those terms, does it make sense to travel anymore? Does it make sense to like book accommodations, pay for gas, pay for uh, tickets in order to see artworks? I can see the same artwork uh, on in like Google search. It's like Matisse and Modigliani and Picasso, like all of the artworks exist in super high quality on the internet, but still, you know, it makes sense to see that curated experience, to see what the uh, people behind collecting this artworks thought about 
putting you know Picasso together or Matisse together and like combining multiple works that actually changed my mind a lot and so I think this will help inform how we communicate and partner with spatial on future improvements to to make it you know to make those traditional sense uh, infused with web3 I don't know if that makes sense but kind of like you know <laughs> the more the deeper I am in web3 the also deeper I am in traditional, uh, arts of I've never been to so many museums uh, like this year I've been in more museums than probably in the previous like 20 years uh, or 15 years um, so that that is also gives me like a very different perspective on uh, how to think about that mm. okay no sure um, so just to check though I'm just as I say I'm still I'm browsing it while you're talking and I um, you know, for, from the normal spatial that I've interacted with, you have the voice function. I don't see the voice function. Is that obviously not an enabled feature yet through the Soika platform? Is that something that will, I presume, come at some point? Um, I'm not sure. I think it will. Um, I believe that's basically like a standalone product uh, because it's ba using different piece of code. Uh, for that, uh, I'm sure they'll bring because you know you you have some of those things like you probably have ability to change the gallery design, uh, same as you do in the uh, on on Sloika. I don't even know how to call it like Sloika spatial spatial Sloika, uh, like uh, but that will probably come uh, and be part of that, uh, and will probably treat the artworks in a way that kind of like more. Uh, set for photography so that it's not cropped for example and so that uh, you're able to see all of the artworks uh, or like that you're able to maybe make some adjustments into how you want to interact so yeah um, this is this is a great um, question because I would love to have some voice conversations there I think it could be fun to just gather and walk around and, and have a chat about those artworks um, if that you know, if that happens, and I think like we want it to happen. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I I would like to see it as a feature. Uh, to my mind, I've been talking about this in spaces for weeks now. Actually, that um, the idea of having drop parties in a spatial gallery makes a lot of sense to me, especially if you can interact through uh, voice, um, whether it's for a solo artist like exhibition or small group or genre specific, etc. Uh, I think it'd be a really cool way to uh, take the drop party concept to the next level. Um, so would you, I mean, just in terms of these like little glitches that I'm seeing, would you like me to just feed them back the ones that I'm seeing to the support email as and when I see them, the more I explore? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, you know, pass it to, to their team. Uh, that's their, again, newest product. Uh, we wanted to be, you know, make it world first, but uh, again, like this is something, it, this is again, not a new concept. I explained it before web three, everything works great in theory. Uh, but may start breaking when you're dealing with reality uh the voice feature would be nice to have uh or you know like no no cropping would be nice to have uh, and there's probably a whole bunch of other things that we can think of uh, as it relates to like bringing uh their standalone product and the uh the spatial integration together uh and you know making them closer together so this is you know uh, a nice little fun way to uh, uh, to make sure that it's better for the all the newcomers to the space. Yeah, I think it's a great development. Thanks for doing it. Um, look forward to see uh, how it evolves. But uh, yeah, I think uh, a lot of artists will probably quite enjoy 
exploring this with you guys and feeding back so to make it look really slick and work really well and take this to the next level thank you thank you joseph for for bringing that up and for joining us as a speaker in the dark room um so ev i think we're getting close to wrapping up did you have any other topics that you wanted to touch on um while we wait to see if there's any final um questions from our speakers um, yeah, well, it's, it's been a great space, two hours of that. Um, I would just uh, mention that uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, about Sloika uh, recently. Um, and so we will be making an announcement about um, Sloika Vault, which is uh, our place to support photographers. Uh, again, to our knowledge, it's the very first ever marketplace uh, that committed to support photographers with uh, with funds with uh, buying their work and creating the permanent collection. Um, that will take us a little bit of time. Probably don't want to give a timeline, but like we'll hope to make it soon to finalize all of this. Um, but you know, kind of like in the past, we've uh, been doing some interesting things with uh, what we do for community for photographers. Uh, very early on when the gas fees were high, uh, and I think Pam, you remember that it was like, that was excessively high fees for minting. Uh, we created a grant, uh, worth hundred thousand dollars to help on board female photographers and young photographers and photographers from emerging markets to help them, uh, mint and present their works. Um, that came from the time where like minting would cost between, $400 per photo or like $4,000 per like a small set of photos. So that was incredibly high. And for, you know, artists in places like Turkey or Iran uh, and other places, that was an excessive amount of uh, money. Um, so we made that grant and had a whole bunch of great recipients. Actually, one of our first recipients went to become one of the uh, most celebrated photographers on Super Rare, um, even though her very first drop, I th if I'm not correct, that was her very first drop on Sloika. Um, I think sure. so. Yeah, if, if it wasn't her first drop, it, it was her first series. Um, I know who you're speaking of is uh, Tara Workman, um, and she's got some amazing, amazing work. Um, but yeah, she was one of she was the very first grant recipient um, as part of that uh, one role program. And, yeah, yeah well. and so that is, uh, you know, so, something we basically began with. We wanted to make sure that there is more than 5% uh, female photographers in space. We're not nowhere near done. So there will be more initiatives to help onboard female photographers and different uh, activities to do that. Uh, we celebrated 60 plus photographers on Times Square during NFT NYC. Um, that was quite like an interesting experience for us to both keep under wraps as something we uh, needed to do extremely quickly because that opportunity was very, very uh, fleeting. So basically the whole process took like three days before uh, we needed to submit. So we, uh, in lieu of having like a competition or like, like, you know, share your works and get likes and retweets, we chose uh, artworks ourselves to present. 
Um, and if we're lucky, we'll try to do the same next year, uh, hopefully even bigger uh, and hopefully even better for the next time. Uh, even though that was not the very first thing we've done, we've uh, presented some interesting art at Namaste NFT uh, in India earlier uh, earlier this year. Uh, time really flies. There's a lot of things that are happening. Um, and so one of our things that we wanted to do early on, and we shared that on Sloika website, is that we wanted to create a fund to celebrate photography and to support up-and-coming photographers. Uh, that fund is underway. There's a lot of things we need to uh, uh, announce about how we do this and uh, what we're doing, but that is basically uh, got started about half a year ago, uh, and we're getting close to revealing more about that. Um, having said that, you know, for me, that's been kind of my... <laughs> Like the way I live my life is to build tools for photographers and trying to support photographers. Uh, we did so uh, at Fire and PX from the very first day I started doing this in 2003 uh, to the day I left the company, which was at the very end of 2015. Um, and uh, later was uh, kind of like, you know, few people know, but I worked for another startup. Uh, that dealt with a marketplace for photographers. And after that, I worked for another company that dealt with uh, AI software uh, for photography called Skylum. So that's been a passion of mine to build uh, and bring the innovative tools that we can do uh, for photographers and we'll continue to do so. So uh, yeah, that's uh, hopefully will be big uh, uh, going forward. Uh, but so far, yeah, that's um, that's kind of like our our mission in a nutshell, and uh, we hope that other marketplaces will join as well in supporting photographers uh, with permanent collections. I think we can all benefit from that. Yes, indeed. And um, another thing that we did this past week that you mentioned at the top of the space is, of course, uh, Retro Week where we dug deep into the last few months and um, brought uh, some of uh, some of our finely aged photographers series um, to the homepage on Sloika and made um, all week a celebration of photographers who have work um, that still has pieces to be collected. Um, but I'll be spending some time this afternoon um, really highlighting the, like, we have more than a dozen photographers who actually launched work this week. And so, um, as Retro Week comes to a close, I'll be putting all of those back onto our homepage, all the um, brand new fresh drops, um, including some from some speakers we had today. Steve Bennett, I know, has a uh, an additions that just dropped. Um, we have a lot that um, just came out. So we'll be doing that. And again, that's just to help give exposure and, um, and support to photographers um, as much as what we can. And um, I think with that, we, we could wrap it up. Um, I want to let you know that the Sloika Darkroom happens every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, Mondays are an open open mic conversation um, that's co-hosted with uh, myself and Dima Shatrov, and we always come up with a fun topic to have the community come together and talk about, so be on the lookout for that. It starts at noon Eastern. Um, Wednesday is our community-wide drop party. Um, all, all Sloika photographers are welcome to come up and share about their series. 
Um, and of course, when you do, you'll be part of the Twitter space, um, but also part of the new Sloika Darkroom podcast. Um, we'll mention your name and a link to your series when in our show notes for each of those episodes. So I hope everyone can join us on Wednesday. And then that brings us back to Fridays when, of course, we bring Ev or Arsene to the stage and talk about all kinds of the technical um, technical topics that um, they're really well equipped to deal with. So um, Ev, I want to thank you so much for your time and for sharing all these great, important topics with us. I think we all learned a lot. I'm seeing a lot of clapping hands and happy faces out there. Um, so I hope everyone um, has a great weekend and you find us again here on Monday in the Sloika Darkroom. Bye for now. <laughs>